Welcome to the People Behind the Tech podcast, which is brought to you by the Leaders Performance Institute and SBJ Tech. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute. And, as always, I'm joined by Joe Lemire, senior writer at SBJ Tech. Joe, it's great to see you again, and it feels like it's been a while. Yeah, a little, a little too long, I think, but uh, I'm doing just peachy, which is a, a little subtle reference to our, our guest. <laughs> Fantastic. And, you know, as you say, today, our guest is Collier Maddaleno, the Director of Football Performance Nutrition at the University of Georgia. Collier is about to enter her fifth season overseeing the nutrition programming for the Georgia Bulldogs, who won the College Football National Championship game in January this year. Georgia defeated TCU 65-7 to seal back-to-back national championships under head coach Kirby Smart. When considering those exploits on the field, I think it's fair to say there is a growing understanding across sports, both in college and in pro leagues across the globe, that nutrition underpins everything else that goes on around a team. And so I think we're very lucky to have Collier with us today. Collier, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Everything's going good. We're about to start football camp, so it's kind of the calm before the storm. (laughs) And we're delighted to have you. And we'll get into your background properly in a bit, but you previously worked at the University of Florida. You studied at Alabama and Georgia State, but it feels like you were born to do this role at UGA. For those who aren't aware, you grew up in Athens, Georgia, which is the home of the Bulldogs. You have several family ties to the school. You attended every football game growing up. So those back-to-back championships these past two years must mean even more to you. It really does. Um, Interesting fact, the last time we won was 1981, and my dad was actually a student trainer with Georgia football at the time. So we both have natty rings, trying to keep it in the family. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, we know you're about to enter a very busy period. You just mentioned that camp coming up later this week. We'd better make the most of this opportunity. It's over to you, Joe. Yeah, thanks so much, John, and, and thanks again for for, for joining us. Uh, you know, the the premise of this podcast is to learn quite a bit about your work, but also a little bit more about you. And so, I always like to start with this: that in your own life, whether it's a, a fitness tracker, it's your nutritional principles, what have you adopted into, what have you prioritized, you know, in your own day to day life to make sure that you're able to perform the best you can when you're at at work. Great question. So I actually grew up in a family that's always been very health conscious. My sister is also a registered dietitian. It's just kind of been a thing. So eating well, I've always known the benefits because it makes me just feel better. It makes me feel more energized to kind of start my day with high protein, lean carbs, high fiber. I also do a running challenge. So this past June 16th, I've run every day for the last seven years. So I like to start my day with morning run, kind of clear my head, kind of get my day aligned and and make sure that I'm fueled and ready for work. Wow, that is uh, quite a streak. When you do these runs, are you doing it purely for your own benefit or do you use a, you know, a tracker? Do you have any certain goals that you're you're keeping in your mind? So I kind of do it for my own benefit. It started off as kind of like at least a mile a day. That's 10 minutes where I can just focus on myself, kind of have quiet time, not answer my phone, not look at text messages or anything. Some days it's longer than others, but I just make sure I at least have that 10 minutes of my run time to myself every day. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned your family background and about how being fairly health conscious all the way, but there's certainly at some point you had to take that step saying, no, I do want to pursue this professionally. For you, what was that moment? I think I always knew I wanted to do something in nutrition, but probably what made me decide on sports was when I was at the University of Alabama, I worked in their sports department. 
And it was really early on. There was only three dietitians in college athletics over in the U.S. at the time. Um, and I was lucky enough to work with one of those three and kind of watch her build this amazing program. Um, she's still at Alabama to this day. And honestly, I would have long days, but they would feel so short because it was just fun. It was exciting. It was hands-on experience. And so that's really what propelled me into wanting to be in sports nutrition. Mm-hmm. And as you continued your studies, what little... What, what niche did you focus in on more um, as a, a specialty? So when you go through your registered dietitian, um, you do a dietetic internship and you get to see nutrition in all these different areas. So we did clinical, you do dialysis, you do diabetes community and all sorts of things. But I kept referring back to my time at Alabama and just being like, I've got to get back into sports. Um, So that's where I really decided to focus on. I took extra classes in my master's program to focus on sports nutrition um, and then just really jumped into the field. And, you know, when you arrived at, at Georgia a number of years ago, you know, what was the sort of the landscape like? Had they had someone on staff before? Were you the first? You know, and how did you start building it out? Yeah. So when I got there, there was someone before me, but I kind of went in and and let Coach Smart know what I thought was going to be needed to be successful um, to kind of steer the program in the way I would like to see it to go. And he was totally on board. So from the go, we were able to hire our own performance chefs um, and to really build this program. Um, We're pretty unique here is that we don't use a third party company for our food service. We are all in-house which is great because we get to choose the vendors we um, order from. We get to choose the recipes and really make sure we're getting the freshest and local and the best local ingredients. And with a, a college football roster that, you know, including walk-ons can be close to triple digits. You certainly, you know, how do you begin to, to segment the, the priorities? Obviously the goal for everyone is as individual as possible. That's such a, a large roster, you know, I'm shooting by at the very start, like there's probably baselines by position groups, but how do you, How do you build it out to make sure that everyone's getting what's best for them? So as soon as our athletes get on campus, we'll meet with them. Um, It's myself, and then I have another full-time dietitian on staff, my great assistant, Kate. Um, And we'll meet with our athletes. We'll kind of figure out what are their goals. Do they have issues with cramps? What are their eating habits like? do a 24-hour recall, Um, and then we'll also do DEXAs on them. So that's how we measure their body composition, and we use these numbers as well as their performance to set goal weights. So basically, from there, we'll figure out, you know, who's kind of our high-priority guys, which means who's far off their goal weight, whether they need to gain weight or lose weight, who has issues with cramping on the field. Um, We do have some athletes with medical nutrition needs, um, a Crohn's athlete. We have an athlete with diabetes. Obviously, those are going to be people we spend time with. Um, And just kind of figure out who more so, I would say, needs that one-on-one attention. And then, of course, we're there to serve the whole team with food feeding and hydration and fueling for performance. And how often do you get a chance to do blood work or other type of assessments to sort of really see how it's it's impacting them? Um, so as soon as they get on campus, we do their lab work then. And then anyone who's low will retest every three months. Um, we also might find someone who who wasn't low before, but we're having maybe repeat injuries. Maybe we want to get a vitamin D checked on him um, or things like that. And so we'll retest them based on, you know, kind of what we think is needed. And I know this is a, an area that they're starting to be, um, you know, more tools available. Also, there's, you know, other third party vendors from you know, the inside trackers of the world to uh, Notemeal and Hexis. Um, you know, have you looked around and, and sourced out what might be helpful in, 
in helping maybe automate some of this or you know, get some additional feedback that way? Yeah, so we are actually using Note Meal, which is a great company. Um, it's really nice because it puts everything into one platform. Before I had like meal plans saved to over here. I had, you know, what supplements guys were on on another tracking advice and then what DEXAs they were. This I can put it all together and have one platform. I can go to one athlete, see what recovery shake they're on. This is their meal plan. This is their supplements. This is their lab work. It's kind of an all-in-one encompassing program that really really makes my life more organized and it's really easy for the athletes to follow too. And then I know the other area that's starting to get a a bit of traction is the, you know, the continuous glucose monitors, which I imagine for someone in your field would be a a wealth of data that you've never had previously. Have you started looking into that at all? I don't know how practical it is in a contact sport like football. (laughs) We have not at this point, but that would be really interesting to see and kind of track, of course, seeing how different foods have different reactions, Um, especially, you know, in workouts and things like that. You never want an athlete to go into it with low blood sugar. Um, So we actually like that spike of blood sugar right before exercise and immediately after. So that would be interesting to look at in the future. Yeah, I've been hogging the conversation this far, so I'll kick it over to John for a few. (laughs) Thank you very much, Joe. Collier, I'd be curious to ask you, what are the biggest dietary concerns of student athletes? Is it their body composition, training adaptations, performance, recovery, which you've already mentioned as well, or just simply health? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say a lot of it depends on the time of the year. In off-season, we're really focused on putting on muscle mass and really those training adaptations. In-season, it's more of like the recovery. We want to make sure everyone's staying healthy. We're getting a lot of antioxidants. We're really making sure that we're focusing on sleep and trying to keep our athletes healthy and on the field. A big thing, too, is a lot of our guys come in and they're under-fueling. So even just getting people aware of how often they should be eating and how much they should be eating to match the kind of output they're they're putting out on the field. Right. And when you've identified an issue and you want to engage with the athletes and I guess just chat to them ultimately to try and get them to do the right thing or persuade them to do the right thing. I mean, that is key, right? How do you approach those conversations? What What are some of the priorities in your mind? I think one of the biggest things that we have to do as dietitians is get to know our athletes. Um, You know, in nutrition, they really have to trust me. They have to um, do things on their own. It's not like strength and conditioning where I can say, give me 10 push-ups." I watch them do it and it's done. They need to listen to their meal plan. They need to listen to what I'm recommending and then they need to execute it on their own. So I really try to be present at meals. I try to get to know my athletes, not only what their weight is and their body composition, but where they're from, what is going on in their lives? Do they have a hard test? And and kind of build that relationship so that then I can teach them these nutrition um, lifestyle changes. And hopefully that way, they're more likely to pick up those tools and use them. And how do you gain that momentum? Is it with perhaps starting with a quick win, something that demonstrates the value of looking after your nutrition in the early days? I think one really good thing to do is to focus in and try to get your leaders bought in. Once you have someone bought in and they start to make changes, they start to perform better, maybe their speeds improve, maybe their recovery improves, and then they start telling the other teammates about it, people are like, well, I want to do what he's doing. So it kind of spreads like wildfire. So I think it's really good to to maybe if you're starting off with a new team, figure out who are my leaders and where can I show my value? Because once they trust you, it'll it'll continue to spread. That makes a lot of sense. And what about at the coaching level? What is the perception of, say, Coach Smart, the rest of the coaches and your colleagues on the football program when it comes to nutrition's place in the grand scheme of things? 
I'm very lucky. Coach Smart is into every detail he can be. Um, and he really believes in nutrition and all the aspects. So I'm so blessed because really to get people to buy, buy in, it, it can start at the top. And having his support makes a huge benefit for us. He is into sleep. He is into nutrition. He is into hydration. Um, he's into recovery. If I'm having an issue maybe with an athlete, I always know I can reach out to him and he can give me his two cents we kind of work very well together. He's very hands-on as a coach. So what is your approach then to holding conversations with the football program's key decision makers, including Coach Smart? So it can be where, you know, like early on when guys come on, we kind of meet as a group to set body weight. So there's kind of like scheduled meetings or meetings with the performance team. And then there's also spinoffs where, hey, I need to meet with you or chit chat with you about someone before Wednesday, you know, and things like that. What's great is, you know, where I'm able to stop by his office um, or shoot him a text and kind of if there's more of a high priority thing. And if not, we do meet on a normal basis to make sure that we're if we're all putting together information on our athletes, then we can work better together and give them a better output and performance. And how visible are you around practice before practice, during practice, after practice on game day as well? I always tell people I feel like soccer mom. So I'm out at practice. I've got like a snack pack, quick carbs in there, Pedialyte bottles, um, electrolyte replacements. So I'm out on the field. Um, my assistant goes out and we usually bring two or three students out so that we're present. The big thing is football is an outdoor sport. They have big body weights. They have heavy equipment. So the amount of performance and sweat and everything they need, um, you know, carbs during exercise, they need electrolytes and we have to be present. Um, game days, we travel to all away games, making sure food set up at hotels, making sure we're there before games, during games, after games, to make sure that fueling is just consistent. Average games can be three and a half to four hours. So, of course, we're making sure that they're getting, you know, the energy they need to really perform and to perform through their game and even at our best in the fourth quarter. I'm going to kick it back to Joe in a second, but I just wanted to ask, is your approach typical of the approach in the NCAA? Is George's approach typical? I would say that most dietitians at this point are all traveling with their team and very hands-on. It's so interesting. It's just, like I said, you know, when I started out, it was probably 2011. There was only three of three people in the nation that were full-time. Now it has grown so much. Most schools have multiple full-time you know, dietitians who are on the road with them. Um, and it's so great to see because the need is just so there. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the, uh, the, the the pads, the heat, the sweat. Uh, tr football training camp, particularly down south, it can be such a, uh, a challenge, such a burden for these athletes. You know, what are some of the other tips that you use about, you know, work, you know, sort of prehydrating, you know, the replenishment? Um, do you use any of the, the sweat monitors out there? Um, just like how much, how much, how, especially for a lineman, you know, in, in doing two a days in summer, you know, what's that experience like? So we have different different tools that we use to measure hydration. One is a company called Inflow, which they actually um, put a little monitor into urinals so that when um, an athlete uses the restroom, um, it'll light up green if they're hydrated, yellow if they're mildly dehydrated, and red so it's if they're dehydrated. So it's very fun and self monitoring. And honestly, the athletes love it. They think it's like a little game. So it's that's fun. Um, and then we use MX3 um, and. 
and that actually tests hydration status using saliva. We also use our sweat rate patches on our athletes with sickle cell or frequent crampers or just salty sweaters. Um, but big thing is, it's just making sure that they're, you know, looking at their urine color. A big misconception is that your urine color should not be clear. That means you've flushed out majority of your electrolytes. You need to have that sodium, the potassium, all those electrolytes to really make sure it's the light yellow, can, which can help your, as you know, electrolytes can help your muscles contract and relax and decrease your risk for cramping. Um, make, sure, make sure they get enough carbs at their meals beforehand. Make sure they're going into it with the right mindset, um, not thinking that they're going to cramp. That's a big one too. Um, and then ultimately being on the field and making sure that they have the Pedialyte, they have the electrolyte replacements, the right stuff, um, drip drop, Powerade. These are all the different tools we use to really make sure that they're getting electrolytes and carbs during their practice times. Fascinating. And you mentioned a, a few monitoring tools. I mean, is in, in your position, does the data that comes from GPS devices or I presume force plates or any of those, are there any, do you find insights that are helpful to, to keep track of your athletes or is that maybe not quite a direct relevance for, for from your role? So our sports science guy will like definitely let us know anyone who, you know, covered a lot of yardage or anyone who had super high um, and intense practices to make sure that we're really hitting home on getting them ready for the next practice, making sure they're eating enough and making sure that they're staying hydrated. Um, we also do things like weigh them before and after practices. Um, and then for every pound they lose, we give 16 to 20 fluid ounces and about 500 milligrams of sodium. Or the guys that use a sweat test, we have more more individualized plans. When thinking about, you know, not, not just uh, in terms of sweat, but just in terms of the overall nutrition and performance, you know, are there a couple case studies that you're, you know, examples of athletes that you're sort of, that you're most proud of that maybe they came in with the wrong attitudes about food. And by the time they graduated, they were completely locked in, or maybe you were able to notice a, 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 a quantifiable impact on their performance. Anything like that, that you're able to, to share? Yeah, I have a couple athletes that really have bought into it, and I've seen a huge difference. Um, you know, one comes to mind. I had a D lineman. He came back after quarantine. He had put on some weight. He was, you know, high body fat percentage, high weight. Came in, used that in la next year to really focus in on nutrition. Um, get got down, dropped his body fat percent seven percent, lost forty five pounds, and he was a first round draft pick. And he just did such a good job at buying in and it made him a faster, more explosive person. He never lost any muscle mass, which really meant that he was focusing in on eating enough, but just the right things that we were able to maintain that muscle and just focus on losing that fat. Um, so he's one that definitely comes to mind, but I have a lot, um, really, it's just so much fun to see them kind of buy in and then, then be like, Oh, Missy, like I feel so much better in practice or like Missy, I didn't know I could have this much energy. Um, it's, it's probably the most rewarding part of my job. No, that's great. And when it comes to making those changes, I'm sure there's some, um, you know, there's a lot of variability by the individual, but do you, do you tend to be like the this type of food? Do you, are you someone who thinks that supplements can be a huge uh, value? I mean, I mean, I'm sure it's a spectrum of both, but you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the best way to, to make those, you know, uh, interventions. 
Yeah. So really I try to do things on an individualized basis just because different athletes have different needs and also they're willing to make different changes. So if, you know, I don't have like a one size fit all weight gain plan or one size fit all weight loss plan, I try to figure out where the athlete's willing to work with us. Um, you know, we do love supplements. We think that there's a room for it. Of course, I do think nutrition will you know, and eating has the biggest impact, but those supplements can be great. Um, you know, supplements like creatine is a great one that we love in football, good for fast, explosive movements, which is the whole game of football, you know, average plays three seconds. So that's perfect. Um, with us, you know, omega threes are super, um, big for us, especially our linemen. They're at number one risk of getting a concussion. So we really make sure that they're on it. Um, anyone post concussion and anyone who's willing to take it, we offer that, um, vitamin D for the bone health, um, cherry juice for recovery. Um, We'll do things like turmeric as well, just really trying to make sure that if they're willing to take these things, um, we want to offer them because they're only going to help. Yeah, I was going to ask a little more about the recovery because that's an, an area that, look, I'm just a 40-year-old suburban dad. I'm not an elite athlete by any stretch. But I, I do find there's been some real value in, in gains in my own life by adopting some of these principles. I started drinking a lot of tart cherry juice. So it sounds like I'm on the right track. Um, what, yes. are, what are other ways? Uh, and you mentioned antioxidants. You know, I try to eat as many blueberries today as I can. Well, what, how else do you sort of prioritize recovery? So recovery, when it comes to nutrition, I'm really thinking about, um, you know, taking things that cause inflammation and doing the anti-version. So for example, foods like fried foods or highly processed foods can really add on to inflammation. Um, of course, whenever they're in the muscle adaptation, um, you know, we do want a little bit of inflammation to help with that muscle building. But when it comes to season, we want to do a lot of those anti um, oxidants and anti-inflammatory. So that's the things like the cherry juices, um, the turmeric, um, the omega threes, all those kinds of things. And then also of course, making sure they're getting their fruits and vegetables. Whereas when we are in the off season, I'm actually not pushing them to do as much of the cherry juice. Um, we actually stock it less in our feeling station. That way they really make sure that they have a little bit of that inflammation to put on the muscle mass. So it kind of depends on the time of the year, um, as to when we're really pushing for for it. Or of course, if the athlete's injured, that's another time when obviously we would push for it. Um, we would let their body heal about like seven days after surgery, but then really push for the anti-inflammatories to help with healing. And, and you've mentioned the, that example of the, you know, only three in, your, in that position 10 years ago. Uh, so like there's, I'm sure along with that has been a lot more research. How do you, how do you keep current on new sources of, of information and what are maybe some things that have changed rather dramatically in the in the last few years that you as you've learned more I'll say that we have a group in the U.S. It's called CPSCA, um, and it's College and Professional Sports Dietetics Association, and they do a really good job at sending out monthly research. Um, I also know the sports science guy in the NFL, um, and he does a great job of sending us research that is all based on football athletes, and that's super applicable to our population. Um, I also have some students that will help me, um, you know, in grad school and things like that to keep up with research, and we actually do as a nutrition staff, um, I monthly, you know, like little, little research or lit review, um, this Tuesday or actually tomorrow, we're doing one on zinc looking at, you know, do we need to make sure that we're giving it to just injured guys? Should we be giving it to more people? Um, should we increase it, you know, during, um, cold season and things like that. So we're always trying to stay up with research. It's always changing. I'm trying to think of one thing that I feel like has 
changed a lot. I will say when, when cherry juice first came out, I was giving it out year round. And then I kind of learned how it was so good at fighting inflammation. It wasn't as great during times when we were trying to build muscle mass. So that's one thing that's I've, I've kind of changed. Uh, I'll send it back to John in a second, but I'm also curious, you know, we've, you, you've clearly specialized in football. Have you worked with athletes in other sports? And I mean, how, I mean, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, the way you approach it must be dramatically different based on the demands of the sport. Yeah. So when I first got to Florida, I actually worked with softball as well. And it was totally different because at Alabama, I just worked with football. Um, and then I did a short stint at IMG with their combine program, which is just football. And so learning how to work with female athletes was completely different. The way you talk to them, the way you approach it, um, it's just so different. So I worked with them for two years and it was such a great learning, um, learning opportunity. And I'm really glad I worked in a department where I had other dietitians to kind of bounce around ideas, definitely because I felt a little bit more on my comfort zone. Um, however, with football and football only, that is my specialty. It's honestly where I feel most comfortable and most myself. Um, and honestly, they, they keep me so busy. I can't imagine having any more athletes. Collier, you mentioned cherry juice and making it more readily available at certain key times of the year. What are some of the ways then that you can influence student athletes to make the right choices at mealtimes? Are you mindful of the layout of the cafeteria, for example? It's a great question. So uh, what we do is we actually try to put the food in a line. So we've kind of looked at, you know, different research on what people would be grabbing. So we actually do fruits and veggies at the front of the line, especially if people are waiting in line. They're more likely to, because they've been waiting to grab the first thing that's in line and put it on their plate because they've been waiting. Um, so we put fruits and veggies first and then we do, it depends on our time of the year. It's If it's camp, we put carbs next and protein. If it's the off season, then we do protein than carbs. Um, really making sure that, you know, in the off season, we're trying to put on muscle mass. That's our big um, goal. And then in camp and in season, we're trying to make sure that we're keeping our energy levels set, um, getting our glucogen stores up and really making sure that um, they're getting enough carbohydrates. And what about your conversations with the team chefs? I mean, how, how does that look? Are you in regular dialogue? Yes. Um, so our chef's office is right next to mine. We do weekly meetings. And like I said, we are a self-operation. So um, we actually get to hire them as individuals. So we really get to know them. And then my big thing is that I want them to know our athletes. I think the more we're connected, the more we're going to be able to know our athletes are fun uh, from what kind of foods they grew up liking to eat and then make sure that we're executing that. You know, we could put out the healthiest meal, but if no one likes the food, it doesn't help us. So we really got to work with them. Um, we do really fun things. So we actually have a football only cooking demo kitchen and we actually teach our athletes how to cook. And in there, I really feel like our chefs get to know our athletes. They get to have so much fun. Um, they kind of get to tell our chefs what they want to learn how to cook. And then our chefs have to execute it. And then I, of course, go by and make sure that our portion sizes are correct, make sure that we're using really good ingredients and things like that. But that's one place where I feel like everyone gets to hang out. Everyone gets to know each other. And it's a really fun time. So that's kind of the environment where you can see there's actual tangible evidence that what you're trying to preach is working. Yeah, for sure. And it's also a life skill that we're teaching them, which is great. You know, when I first started off, um, I would actually have guys when they left for the league, they'd call me and be like, Miss C, like they only feed us like twice a day or like, oh, we get a month off. Like, I don't know what to eat. And what I've learned was that we were just handing them food, you know, 
they weren't having to clean, they weren't having to cook. We had the food ready for them. And so teaching them this life skill is going to help them not only in the league, but also when football's done. So I really love that um, aspect of it. And that way, you know, we're teaching them not only what to eat, but how to make it, how to take care of themselves, how to go to the grocery store, all those little things to kind of help them with that life skill. It's quite a holistic approach, and I'm also curious to ask you how you look to reproduce your home environment when you're on the road with the team. Yeah, so we really want everything to look the same, feel the same, the whole thing. Um, no surprises on game day. That's kind of our motto. But um, so what we'll do is we'll actually send over recipes. Um, I send my assistant early. Sometimes, too, we'll even travel our team chefs um, if it's a place we haven't been to or if it's someone that you know we kept notes from and two years ago, we didn't have, you know, maybe the best experience. Maybe we'll send our chef ahead um, to really make sure that we're trying to keep everything consistent for our athletes. And just going back to the athletes themselves, when you mentioned that you would have a priority group, athletes who perhaps command more of your attention at any given time. What about ones that are not a priority? How do you ensure that things are ticking over nicely with that cohort? Well, one big thing that we do is we do take weekly weights. So we're able to monitor kind of where everyone is nutritionally. If anyone new is falling under or over, you know, obviously um, we'll kind of catch them and, and make sure that they're on our radar. Also just looking at athletes during performance. If someone's, you know, extra gassed or maybe falling out of runs, that's someone that's obviously going to be pulled onto our radar. Anyone who's having a full body cramp or anyone who, you know, goes into surgery or has an injury, obviously they'll kind of come back onto our radar. Um, so those are kind of ways that we'll we'll make sure we're staying on top of things. And you try and get to know the athletes. You try to understand what they like, some of their preferences. What has been some of the more unusual requests that you've had from an athlete? That's a good one. Gosh, they're wild. It's, I mean, every day is different and new. And as soon as you think you figured them out, they'll change things. I'm trying to think of something. Um, Honestly, I'm in the, we're in the South. And so the amount of stuff, like some of them come in and they put sugar on is crazy. Like sugar on white rice, sugar on spaghetti, just like things that I'm just like, what? <laughs> what are we doing? But that was something new that I've definitely seen. Um, and some of their food combos are a little odd too. Like speaking of spaghetti, it was like, oh, anytime we have fried fish, we should have spaghetti too. I'm like, what? Yeah. So just little things like that. I don't know. They keep me on my toes, though, for sure. <laughs> and Joe? Yeah, actually, uh, I got a couple more. You mentioned, uh, I think it was a sink um, that is something that you might give to athletes that are injured. And I guess sort of a light bulb kind of went off that maybe it should have been more obvious. But how much can nutrition affect, you know, not just like recovery after a workout, but injury recovery? Like how much do you think you can have a real impact there? I think it can really have a huge impact. You know, during injury, one of our big goals is to make sure that we don't lose muscle mass. Um, so what we'll do is we'll actually use our DEXA to kind of figure out what their current muscle mass is. And what's interesting about this machine is that it actually can compartment compartmentalize um, the body. And so that you can look at, let's say, you know, we had an athlete that tore his ACL on his left leg. We can look at what his right leg looks like muscle mass and make sure that we're getting the left leg back to it. We'll do things like, um, you know, make sure that they're having a, a good meal plan. Um, 
energy needs are high right after work. I mean, right after surgery, which is kind of surprising and throws off some of our athletes. Um, a lot of them are like, well, I'm not doing as much physically, so I don't need to eat as much. And that's a very common misconception. They actually need a good amount of energy, um, an increased amount of protein to really make sure that we're holding on to that muscle mass. And then obviously we'll do things like supplementation. Um, there's a lot of interesting new research that creatine is really helpful during the um, injury and post-concussion phases. Um, that is something that the NCAA doesn't let us um, purchase for the athletes. They can buy it as long as it's third-party tested, but we can't use it. Um, so that's something that, you know, I've been really trying to have our athletes, um, you know, kind of buy into and learn about and make sure that they're purchasing that on their own if, you know, they have a concussion or post-surgery. Um, and then also, again, the omegas are great for those um, looking at to, you know, if they have any other issues, um, what can be individualized and what can be needed during uh, post-surgery. Fascinating. And, and I know there's the fun stories of the the food ideas that these athletes are coming in with, but I imagine like a lot, a lot of fields that, uh, you know, as the athletes come in, I'm, I'm sure, uh, an incoming freshman now probably knows more on a, on the whole than someone who came in five or 10 years ago, like how much, or, or perhaps not because you know, high school varies quite a bit, but have you seen yeah. trend lines that way? They actually honestly all come in with different backgrounds in nutrition knowledge. And that's kind of one of the first things we do is trying to pinpoint kind of where as a whole they are. But I definitely have athletes come in that don't know what a carb, what a protein, what a fat is. Um, so we actually have to label that in our dining hall and we need to teach them how to do that. I have some guys that come in that know how to grill their own steak. And I have some guys that come in that don't know how to boil water. Um, so we see a, a huge, a huge um you know, kind of spread of how, how guys come in with their nutrition knowledge. But for the most part, um, you know, what we'll do is we'll do freshman series when they come in on nutrition, teach them, you know, what's a carb, what's a protein, what should my plate look, be looking like before practice or game days? Um, how much hydration and water do I need to be drinking? Um, when do I need to make sure I'm getting electrolytes and carbs um, and different things like that, just to make sure they have that basic knowledge. And then we also do weekly nutrition talks um, after lifts. We coordinate that with our strength coaches to really make sure that everyone's getting continued nutrition knowledge. Fascinating. This has been, this has been great. I don't think I have any others. John? Yeah, thank you, Joe. Yeah, one or two more, really. And Collier, I wanted to ask about the research you touched upon before. I wondered, is the research telling you anything about which aspect will be a focus for performance nutrition in the coming years? Yeah, I think honestly, we're, it's growing field and that more and more people are looking at, you know, what can we do? What can we help to control stuff? Big things, obviously in football, it's a contact sport is injury prevention. So I feel like that is a kind of a growing field on what we can do to really make sure that we keep our athletes healthy and on the field. So I feel like that's kind of a growing um, area as well as concussions is obviously huge in the game of football, but what we can do post concussions to keep our athletes healthy um, and that could really help them in the long term. And a final question from me, really. What advice do you have for dietitians and nutritionists who, who perhaps don't have that seat at the top table at the moment within their sports? Do you have any advice for them and how they could perhaps earn that place at the table? 
Of course. Um, one thing is if they, you know, are a dietitian that want to get into sports nutrition, I would say just take a job, just get experience, just put your foot in the door, start working. It's kind of crazy, but sports nutrition is such a small field and sports in general is like you could be working somewhere and the coach there becomes the head coach elsewhere. You know, actually when I was a student at Alabama, uh, coach smart was the defensive coordinator. Now he's my head ball coach. So it's just a small world, but get in there. And then if you're working on a team where maybe you're already in the door, but you don't feel like you have a ton of support, my big things would be get the team to buy in. I really think once people see athletes um, attracted to things, or they see a difference in performance or speed or recovery, like there's no way that you can be ignored. So really buy into your athletes, make sure that they are your main focus. Um, you know, if they are doing good, if you're connecting with them, that's only going to help you to be able able to have those conversations with your strength coaches, your trainers, and your coaches and really get their respect and support. I think that's a superb way to wrap things up. Joe already said it. This has been an absolutely fascinating chat. Collier, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.